God is, uh, is so good when we sing about the amazing grace of God. You know, just, just who he is and what he has done for us and what he accomplished on our behalf. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to another parable. We're going to be looking at John chapter 12, uh, verses 20 through 26. And uh, talks about the idea of, of life coming out of death. It, it doesn't matter whether it's the life of Christ or whether our lives, but there's a point where we die. We die spiritually, uh, we die to self, and uh, through that we produce a, a rich harvest. Uh, we glorify God, and we're going to look at that today. But I want to just give you a little background into this parable. It is, it is towards the time when uh, Jesus is going to go to the cross. He knows that his time is coming. He has come down from Galilee and, and probably crossed the Jordan somewhere around Jericho, and he's come up to Bethany, and he is there, and, uh, you know, this is a special place for him because it's where he actually raised Lazarus, called Lazarus forth from the tomb. If you know that, that uh, event, he came to the tomb. Lazarus had been in there four days, and... and uh, Boy, his sister said, his sister Martha said, Lord, Lord leave him there, he stinks. And uh, he called him forth. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And immediately Lazarus got up and uh, they rolled the stone away and he came out and he was still in the grave clothes. But, you know, that really moved a lot of people. I think it would move me if somebody came here to Brentwood and they went down to one of the tombs and said, uh, whoever the person's name was, come forth, and I saw him come forth, I might be really, really amazed at that. And that was the case with, uh, with Jesus. And uh, this was also the town of Bethany where Mary and Martha, his sisters, lived. And when Jesus came through there, they had a meal for him. And he ate, and he spent time with them. And Mary um, anointed his feet with perfume. It was a very expensive bottle of perfume, and of course we know that uh, Judas then became very upset because that money could have been saved for something else. It should have been given to the poor. Uh, we hear that quite often. Money should go to the poor, and yet for Judas it was because he was pilfering the funds out of the, out of the box. He was taking the money for himself, and so we know it was kind of a selfish thing. And so a large, uh, in verse 9 it says, a large crowd of Jews then learned that he was there, and they came not... For Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. This, this really got their attention. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. Uh, I, I think that's interesting that here were these religious individuals, and they weren't excited about the fact that a man had been brought back to life. They wanted to kill him. You know, they wanted to remove him because he was a, a problem for them. They wanted to do it because on account of him, many of the Jews were turning away and they were believing in Jesus. And then we come to the situation of the triumphal entry and it says in verse 12, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to feast, whom they heard, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took those branches of the palm trees and they went out to meet him and they began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, it was identifying Jesus as the Messiah, the one who was to come. It was identifying him as the one they had waited for, and yet a week later he would be crucified. Interesting how the attitudes of people change so quickly. 
Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it as it is written fear not daughter of Zion behold your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt and these things his disciples didn't understand at first when Jesus was but when Jesus was glorified they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him and so the people were who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. And for this reason, people went out and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. And the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. I want you to understand that this was a time of transition. It was a time of change. Jesus was changing the focus of his ministry. He came down through the triumphal entry and they hailed him as the king of the Jews. They hailed him as the long-awaited Messiah. But Jesus knew that things were going to be changed that week. It was a very special time of, of transformation because now Jesus was going to come and do that which he had set out to do. And we get another picture of this transformation of what was taking place down in verse 27. It says, Now my soul has become troubled. This is Jesus speaking. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Shall I say, Father, take me out of here? This is why I'm here, but take me out. But for this purpose I came to this hour. That's why I'm here. Father, glorify your name. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Well, one reason was for our salvation. One reason was that we might be saved, but another one, and maybe a greater reason for Jesus, was that he might glorify the Father. He lived in obedience to what the Father desired, and it was the Father's desire. In fact, it says, well, we know that verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This was the Father's will. And, and if he came, then he would produce fruit in keeping with the Father's will. And so that was one of the primary things. We're going to see it in a moment. But this is one of three points where the voice of God actually came down from heaven relating to the Son. It says in verse 28, Then the voice came out of heaven, I will both glorify it, his name, the Father's name, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered, and others saying, An angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. I, I thought back in my study and readings uh, to the fact that this wasn't the first time that this Father had spoken from heaven. Uh, the first one that we relate back to primarily is when Jesus was baptized. Do you remember that? And he was with John the Baptist, and there was a voice from heaven, and the dove came down, the spirit came down in the form of the dove, and he talked about, this is my beloved son. And uh, he spoke at that time. It was the beginning of Christ's ministry, really. Uh, he lived on the earth about 30 years, but now his formal ministry was starting, and so the Father confirmed that through speaking in heaven. The second time that we hear from the Father from heaven is during the transfiguration. Jesus took Peter and James and John. They went up on a mountain, and you may remember that story. And Jesus' countenance changed. All of a sudden, he had that aura about him that probably only God has. Elijah, Moses, they were there. And again, the Father spoke. 
This is the third time. And it seems that it's always at, at critical times in the ministry. When God is saying or doing something special, things are going to change for Jesus. And he spoke again and he says, I have both glorified it, my name, and I will glorify it again. And when Jesus Christ would go to the cross, there would be glory. Well, I want to go back to the account that we're studying this morning. And that begins in verse 20 and goes through verse 26. Let me just read the entire passage for you. It's not long, and then we'll come back and kind of break it down. But it says in verse 20, Now there were Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was there, or from Bethsaida, of Galilee, and they began to ask him, saying, Sir, we would we wish to see Jesus. It was a it was a desire to come and probably interview him, talk to him. It wasn't just to get a picture with him. They weren't taking a selfie or anything else or you know, having him autograph a basketball. But they wanted to talk to him. They wanted to get to know him. And Philip came and he told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, and let me just say as we get there, whenever you see a truly, truly, amen or amen, uh, it means, hey, listen up. There's kind of a red flag. You need to stop right here. There's something special, something important you're going to get. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. There's the parable. This is the this is the story that is given to be cast alongside the spiritual truth. And he goes on in verse 25, and he said, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. A little bit of a hard passage for us to really wrap our minds around and get a hold of. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, then he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Well, I want to go back up and, and just look at that introduction a moment uh, in verse 20. Do you all have Bibles? Do anybody need a Bible here? I didn't ask that earlier. Uh, nope. Appears like everybody's okay. So we go back to verse 20. It says there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. And my guess is that they were probably proselytes to Judaism. And, and if you know anything about Christ's ministry, you realize that, yes, he did speak to some individuals who were um, not Jews. Uh, the woman at the well of Samaria in John 1, that was certainly there. He uh, met with a centurion who was not a Jew, but, uh, but primarily their ministry was to the Jewish people. Jesus came to establish himself as the Messiah before he went to the cross. And so uh, the Greeks were not the focus of the ministry, and yet they were here. And I'm sure at that point Philip was wondering, well, what do I do now? What do you know? They come to me. I, I, we might think, why didn't they go to Peter or James, or John. Those were the preachers. Those were the ones who were out in front. But, you know, I think Peter and James and John probably would have all said, go away. You know, when we were sent out two by two, Jesus told us to go to the people of Israel, the Jews. Don't go to the Gentiles. 
and, and now here they came, and so they would just take it for granted that that wasn't where they should go. But, but they came to Philip, and, and some people question why. Maybe one reason was because Philip had a Greek name. You know, it was comfortable to come to somebody named Philip that wasn't a Jewish name. It was a Greek name. And he came from the town of Bethsaida, which was up in Galilee. And it was a, a town that was a mixture probably of Greek and Jew. And there were some other Greek towns around. I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe even knew Philip. But they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They wanted to interview him. They wanted to spend time with him. And I would imagine uh, there could have been several things for that. Possibly it was because of Lazarus. You know, wouldn't you want to talk to somebody that raises somebody from the dead? I might. Maybe it was because they were there at the triumphal entry and they saw him coming in and all the people hailing him and and maybe they thought that was a good thing. Or possibly they were even down at the temple. We're told when he went down that first week that he again cleansed the temple of the money changers. He drove them out. And, and possibly they were wanting to ask, why do you do this? And what, what right do you have? And the same kind of questions that we might want to ask him. Or how do you do all of those signs and wonders? And where have you come from? And what is it about you that's special? And how did you raise Lazarus from the dead? That's an amazing thing. But they came to Philip, and Philip didn't know what to do. He wasn't sure. And so, verse 22, Philip came and he told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Andrew and Philip were not known to be the focal point of the disciples necessarily, they were part of the group. Philip especially was kind of quiet from what we understand. But I believe they were both evangelists. They may not have been great speakers. They may not have been the upfront preachers, but they evangelized. And it says something to me about the person within the church is that we can all do that. We meet people, we share Jesus Christ. When Philip met Jesus the first time, he immediately went and found Nathaniel and said, Nathaniel, you've got to come. You've got to see this guy. This is the Messiah. Andrew met Jesus. He and John were there with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, Jesus, and, and Andrew and, and John followed Jesus. And they went to the house and they spent time with him and they talked to him. And then do you remember what Andrew did? He went out and found his brother. Peter, you got to come and see this guy. This is the one. And Peter went. If, if you were to talk about spiritual parents and grandparents maybe Andrew was the spiritual parent of Peter because he brought him but Peter was a spiritual parent that first day of 3,000 people that heard the ministry and Andrew would have been the grandfather you may in sharing with people touch one person who goes on and touches hundreds and thousands more and that's where Andrew was you remember the story the event when Jesus was up on the out with the multitude and he said they're hungry they need food and he said to his disciples where can we get food and they said we don't have food for all these people five thousand men their families there's no way we can feed them send them away jesus said no we've got to feed them he asked if there was enough money in the treasury certainly not jesus already knew that 
But you know what? There was one man that went out. One of the disciples went looking for food, and he found a boy with just a few loaves of bread and some fish, and he brought him to Jesus. That was Andrew. I think Andrew, as, as I looked at this, and I was just thinking through it this week and praying, Andrew must have been a person of faith. Because whenever there was an issue, something, he brought it to Jesus. When somebody needed to talk to Jesus, he brought the issue to Jesus. When somebody needed to hear about who Jesus was, he brought them to Jesus. That was just kind of the, the tendency of where Andrew was. And so they brought him to Jesus, and you would think that Jesus said, Oh yeah, bring the, Jew, bring the, uh, the Greeks over, I'll meet with them. But we don't have anything here that tells us what he did in terms of those individuals. Listen to verse 23. And Jesus answered them. He didn't say, yeah, bring them on. It says he answered them. And he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You know, you go back into the New Testament, and it speaks of the fact that at the right time, Jesus was crucified. Uh, God had the perfect time. He knew exactly when it was supposed to be. You go back to the book of Daniel in the ninth chapter. It talks about the 70 years of Daniel. And theologians and mathematicians that are better than me have studied that. Each year was seven years, so it's 770s. But they studied it in the first 69 years, and it tells when they come. It comes from when they were to begin rebuilding the wall. Darius sent them to do that. I believe it was at that point. And it comes right to the point, the day, according to the Jewish council, or the, the Jewish uh, calendar, when Jesus came on the triumphal entry. God had the perfect time. It's amazing to me when you go back and look at that and realize what God has done and how he laid everything out. And now Jesus is saying, now is the hour. And, and for Andrew and Philip and the others who may have been listening, this had to be a little bit strange because up until this time, Jesus had always said, it's not my time. You go back to John chapter 2, verse 4, and Jesus was talking to his mother. They were at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and, and the bridegroom had run out of wine. This was a huge faux pas. You didn't run out of wine at the bridal fe or at the, the feast of the wedding. Mary went to Jesus, and she took those in, in need with him and said, you know, do what he says. And he, he basically said, you remember that one? Woman, what do I have to do with you? Uh, that was not a negative sign to call his mother woman. But he said, what do I have to do with you? And now's not my time. John chapter 7, verse 6. Uh, it's time of the, the feast. They were going up to the feast, the feast of the Passover. His brothers were going and they didn't believe in Jesus, but they were encouraging him if he was really thought he was the Messiah. Go up. He needed to go to Jerusalem. And he said, no, now's not my time. And every time that something like this would come up, it would, it would be that the hour is not here. It's not the time. And yet here is this transition in Jesus' ministry. And he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he starts into this story. You know, I, the two things are evident to me about Jesus at this point. He definitely knew what his father's program was. He knew why he was here. He knew what God expected of him. He knew what God wanted. 
and he knew what he was going to have to endure, and it was okay. And for us, God also has a program. He knows what's happening in your life. He has a plan for you. And sometimes we struggle with that. Lord, I want to know what's going on. I want to know what's taking place. God already knows. He has the plan. He's worked it out. And I don't know about you, but that is comforting for me to know that God's plan is in process, even though sometimes it's hard and difficult. But to know that he cares and that he loves me and he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and what's going to happen with my family and my relatives. He, uh, he knew that uh, Camille's mother would be critically ill today and she would be called away. And he is in control. And you know, you think, oh, what's going to happen? Who's going to lead? What's going to take place? Well, you take whatever's here and we do it. But God has it worked out. God knows. And he knows that in your lives, too. If you're living in obedience to me and to him, uh, he who has my, my commandments, he says, and keeps them is the one that the Father loves. And the one that's loved by the Father is going to be loved by Jesus, and Jesus is going to make himself evident to him. And so we look at that, and we realize that. Jesus also knew and understood the scriptures, and he understood that when the Greeks came, that there would be others that would be added to the kingdom who were not of the Jewish race. And so Jesus looked at all that, and he says, now is the time. Now let's get into this story. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone. That's, a, that's kind of a hard one. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, then it bears much fruit. Let me just give you a principle here. True life comes out of death. True life comes out of death. It doesn't make sense to our human nature to think of that. We think, boy, when you're dead, you're gone. But it, it says here that it's when, only when we die that we truly see life and we truly reproduce as God would have us to that which is like him. You take a piece of wheat, a piece of corn. Take that little piece of wheat. It's not very big. Okay, it's just a grain. And you sit it on the shelf, and you know you can have that little kind of tan brown piece. It's all smooth sitting on that shelf for years. And nothing's going to happen. It's not going to come to life. It's just sitting there. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you, have you ever done this? You've taken a bean and you've put it between uh, paper towels or something that is moist and you wet it down and you leave it in there. How many of you have done that? Quite a few of you. What happened to your bean? It sprouted, didn't it? And that's the idea. This little sprout comes up and it hits the surface and the stem comes up and the leaf and then it heads out and it produces more. But you know what happened to that bean to begin with? It had to die. The root goes down into the surface or into the, into the ground and it gets the nutrients so that it can go up and reproduce. But the bean or the piece of wheat had to die. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting here. This is the picture that 
God gives us through this passage that life comes from death. Jesus gave his life, and it's really a picture of Jesus, first of all, in this, in this verse. And then it comes back to us, but Jesus gave his life. He died so that he might reproduce as a result of the crucifixion. You know what? When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go there because some men came and forced him to. There's a lot of people that tend to think that he was crucified improperly. This shouldn't have happened. They just left him. He would have set up his kingdom, but that's not true. This was God's plan. And he had to die. He had to die to have real life. In, in, in fact, it says if he hadn't died, he would have been alone. If it doesn't fall to the earth, it remains alone. Let me give you a hypothetical situation. Let's say Jesus decided while he was down here, you know, I don't want to go to the cross. Now, Jesus wouldn't have done that, but let me give you a hypothetical. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die. I'm going to go back to heaven. And he goes back up to heaven and be surrounded. There's his father. Oh, wow, he's in the presence of the Holy God. There are the angels. This is great. But you know what? He would have been lonely because he had not accomplished what he had set out or was supposed to do. We experience loneliness when we aren't accomplishing that which God wants us to do. He could have been surrounded by all kinds of people. Do you know something? People could come and sit in this congregation. In fact, you may be here this morning and you have people all around you and you feel lonely. You feel that loneliness. And it, it, it gives the idea that if the loneliness is to be changed, it's because we have to change from the inside out. It was in his crucifixion that Jesus was able to bear the kind of fruit that God intended for him to bear. You go back to Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 29. Romans eight twenty-nine. it says, For those whom he... And you can probably quote it for me. He foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn. That doesn't mean he's the first one born. It means he's first in line. He's first in priority or prominence. He would be the firstborn among many brethren. But if he hadn't gone to the cross, they would not be there. And he would be alone in relationship to what God intended for him to do. Jesus came to glorify the Father, and he glorified the Father by going to the cross and producing fruit that then would become part of the member, members of the family of God. John 1.12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And so if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, that never would have taken place. And there would have been an aloneness because he wouldn't have those around him who should have been. He wouldn't have borne fruit as God intended for him to do. First Peter, it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that he might bring us to God. Might bring us to God, having died on the cross and made alive through the Spirit. And so there is a change, there is a transformation, and that's really what Jesus is showing here is that there is a purpose for his coming and a purpose for his dying. And I would tell you today that when we come into Jesus Christ 
and a relationship with him, we die to our old self as well. Galatians 2.20, it's a great verse. It talks about Christ being the center of our life, but it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, oh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That's where it changes. I become different because now I'm in Christ. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Do you got that? They're gone. It isn't the same anymore. When you become a Christian, your life changes. Not because you're made over. It's not like taking an old model and making it look a little different and changing it up a little bit. It's that we become new. Old things become new. And so we're changed. Verse 25. He who loves his life loses it. That word loves there isn't, you know, we think of the Greek words for love. It's not agape, it's phileo. And it has to do with the love. He who has a compassion for his life loses it. It dies. It's obliterated is the idea of that term. He who has this passion for this life on the earth loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Uh, I think when we lose our life here, it, it would be likened to that idea in the last verse where it talks about being alone, lonely. What causes loneliness? causes you to feel alone? What causes you to have this loneliness? We're not talking about necessarily being alone, but it's an emotion, it's a feeling, it's an attitude down in our heart. Loneliness comes primarily from the philosophy of the world, the attitude of the world. It, it is the desire of the world. You know, the desire of the world is all about what's good for me. I'm number one. Are you making me feel good? Are you making things happen that I like? It's about me. And when we die to self, then we no longer need to be lonely, but we need to see that because if, if I'm not getting what I want, if I'm not getting what I desire, if I'm not getting that which I think is so important to me, then I'm going to be lonely. I, I'm going to be unfulfilled. Uh, talks about a, a person's life being self-centered and, and personally it, comes to be a wreck it's it's like that grain of wheat has to learn to die and so when we become Christians and we commit our lives to Jesus Christ we die to self we now are different it isn't all about me it's not all about my desires and I believe when we die to self in this way we we probably do it many times as Christians because we get back to where we grab that old self again and what do, what do I like and what's for me and what do I desire and why aren't people doing what I want. And sometimes in order to not feel lonely anymore, we gather all kinds of people around us because we want them to make us feel good. And we gather stuff because we want it to make us feel good. And we're left with that emptiness still because they can't do it. They can't fill that void. They can't meet that need. And when we fall away from God, that's kind of how we feel. We've lost that focus on what's important. The seed 
could either be up on the shelf and never reproduce and always be lonely and never be what God intended for it to be or do or could be put into the ground. Let me give you an illustration of how we change. It has to do with when you're single. When you're single, you have all the freedom to do whatever you want. You get the job you want. If you don't want to go to work, you say, I don't care if I keep that job or not. You can go fishing. You can go golfing. You can do any of those things that I used to do when I was single. It was about me. It was about what I felt like. It was about what made me feel good. If I wanted to go travel, I'd go travel. If I, if I wanted to go see friends, I'd go see them. If I didn't feel like seeing them, I didn't feel like seeing them. I had a freedom to do my own thing, but it wasn't very fulfilling. There was an emptiness. And then I met somebody. And I loved her. And I cared about her. And I said, would you marry me? And she said, yes. And you can stand up there and you can make those vows until death do us part. And boy, we're right there. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that for you. And you can walk out of there and you can still be that same old single guy you once were. It's all about me. My marriage, it's all about me. It's what I want to do. Are you going to do what I want to do or aren't you? You know what? doesn't work. You have to die to your singleness. You change. You become somebody else. In fact, it says when we get married, we become one flesh. We change. We're transformed. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 5, I just want to read you two verses. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. All of a sudden, the wife's role as a woman changes because she now has to submit to her husband. And that means a lot of that freedom she had in the past isn't there anymore. Wow. I didn't buy into that. You know? Uh, Women's movement today? No way! And husbands, when I was growing up, guys loved to quote that verse. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Guess what, guys? It was never written to you. That's for the wife to do in the relationship. Husbands, it says in verse 25, and it gives a lot more here to the husband. Husbands, love your wife. You're committed to your wife just as Christ also loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He gave himself up for her. Total sacrifice. Yeah. Now your role for your wife is to do everything you can to encourage and build up and meet her needs and care about her and make sure she's cared for. It it, it changes the role, but in essence, you have done what? You have died to that old life, and now you have a new one. And our problem with marriages today is people haven't figured it out. And they still want that same old selfish, self-centered life they had in the past. And it can't be there if the marriage is going to be what God intended for it to be. So you're sitting there and you as a couple, you're having a great time. You're going here, you're going there, you're jet-setting, you're having a super time until dad comes home and mom says, I'm pregnant. 
And then you die to that life because you've got the child to raise and you spend your time there and you're committed there and it changes. Children are to obey their parents, but parents are to raise their children in the instruction of the Lord. And it changes. We die to self. And when we become Christians, in order to become what God wants us to be, we die to self and come alive in Christ. And it changes who we are. Do you know what it does when you really commit to that? It takes away that loneliness. It removes the loneliness that was there. Getting married removes a loneliness that was there because you felt that was a need. Having children removed a loneliness. But it's even more spiritually when we come to know the Lord and and. We follow after him, and then Jesus made this statement in verse 26. If anyone serves me, serve, it it means to accommodate, to take care of, to uh, be a servant. It's the same term we get for for diakonos. It's it's for being a a deacon. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Uh, He needs to go my direction, not his own direction. That's what changes. You can't just keep going your own direction and say, Lord, what direction do you want me to go? He who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That's where it is. And the one who loves me is going to be loved by the Father, and I'm going to love him, and I'm going to disclose myself to him. But it's that we are obedient. You know, it says, if you want your prayers answered, if you, my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But it's abiding in Christ. And so we follow him. Where did Jesus Christ go? What was the direction? Cross. Total sacrifice. He went the way of the cross. No matter what the cost. We say, okay, Lord, here I am. I'll follow you. And and the second point is we have to follow. That means that we allow ourselves to be alone, but not necessarily lonely. Uh, We're not to be making demands on others to fulfill my aloneness. Only God can do that. When I keep thinking I've got to be with somebody else, I've got to have someone else meet my needs, I've got to have somebody else care for me, and what I'm really saying is about me, I've missed the point. I'm still alone. The loneliness is there until I allow God to change it. And he's the one that changes and transforms of it, transforms it. And then it goes on, it says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If I am his servant, I am following him. I'll be where he is. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You cast off that old self, and you produce the abundance of fruit that God wants because he makes it happen through you. And we are unfulfilled until we die to self, just like that piece of grain. piece of grain goes into the soil, we've already said. It begins to change. It begins to be transformed. And that little sprout comes up, and it begins to head for the surface. And another sprout comes down, and it heads into the earth. One becomes the stem. The other one becomes the root where the nourishment is. And the seed dies. But the plant goes on to bear much more fruit. And there's always that same struggle of saying, wow, I want to go back and take over again. 
but it's they were letting loose of our old self that we try and find true fulfillment. Doesn't matter what the relationship, it doesn't matter whether it's at work or at home or in the church or just by ourselves in our relationship with God. It's becoming that that piece of grain that dies to self that it might reproduce what God intended, bringing him glory and also being glorified in ourselves. And it's coming back as Christians periodically and just saying, Lord, where am I? Am I like that grain that's up on the shelf? Or am I really allowing you to reproduce Jesus Christ in me and through me produce others? And that's the only way it happens is when we make that commitment. Let's pray, shall we? Father, oh, Father. Amazing story. This transition in Jesus' ministry is amazing. Just to me to stop and think about how Jesus understood. Up until that time, it wasn't his time, but all of a sudden some Greeks showed up, some Gentiles, and Jesus said, oh, now's the time. Now's the time for the glorified Father to glorify himself through me. Now's the time I'm going to go to the cross. And, he's, and he said, I'd just as soon not do it, but if that's the Father's will, I'll do it because that's what glorifies the Father. And Father, that has to be our attitude as well, doesn't it? Sometimes there are things we say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be there. It isn't always easy, and yet that's what brings you glory, and it fills our lives. It fulfills us. We no longer are feeling that emptiness or that loneliness within ourselves. Secure for real loneliness. So, Father, I pray for each individual here today that we we would understand this parable. It's, it's a little bit hard. But it's not what we do. It's what we allow you to do through us. Submitting ourselves to you in every, in every area of our lives. Not just one or two. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the leading and direction of your Holy Spirit and the guidance that he gives. We praise you and give you thanks. Again, we put Camille before you as well as her mom. Uh, Might your will be done there, Father. That's what we pray, your will. Others that I know in the church that are struggling with medical and physical and emotional, family issues, whatever, we pray for your will, Father. Might your will be done in decisions that are made. And might you be glorified through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.